1: Don't think about the Super Bowl too early. Wise words from Bruce Arians, who, as they pointed out to him, has constant reminders. Because if they win in Green Bay on Sunday in the NFC Championship game, the Buccaneers become the first team ever to play a Super Bowl in their home stadium. It almost happened three years ago with the Vikings. It didn't. Could happen this year with the Buccaneers. It will not be easy, though. For the Buccaneers to go to Green Bay and win a little cold, a little snow, a lot of cold, maybe more than a little snow. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio here with you. Shereen, have you recovered from yesterday's eight hour <laughs> and 46 minute Hall of Fame voting session marathon?
2: Well, you saw what time I got up this morning. I texted you when I woke up and it was not early. So it it took uh, a little bit of sleep to get over that almost nine hour meeting, which you called it. You said eight and a half was the over under and I took the under. I thought it'd be around eight hours and it went longer than that, Mike.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I text you a question while we were on the air this morning with PFT Live at 7.45 a.m. Eastern, and I quickly did the math, (laughs) remove one hour. It's like, she's going to be pissed at me, sorry, London, for for, um, texting her at 6.45 (laughs) a.m. her time after listening that did it make it better was it easier to be at home for that because I can't imagine being trapped in a giant conference room with all those people for that long on the Saturday before the Super Bowl
2: It was different. It was really different. It made, obviously, I gave the Drew Pearson presentation. It made that much easier, I thought, because you're looking at your screen. You're looking at your notes. You're not actually seeing people. So you don't get nervous about it because I always get really nervous. It's one of the few things I still get nervous about because you feel like you have their Hall of Fame fates in your hands when you make that presentation. And you want want it to be great. You want it to be really good. You want to convince people. And so that, to me, was the one thing that was easier. But, boy, sitting in that chair for a long time, I, we didn't have very many breaks either. I, I, For lunchtime, I actually turned the video off and got me some lunch and ate lunch with the video off for, while one of the presentations was going on.
1: I would have turned the video off and taken a nap or two over the course of eight hours and 45 <laughs> minutes. I don't think I'm capable of staying awake that long. So uh, we will find out the product of your hard work In two and a half weeks, assuming no one blabs between now and then, but uh, it looks like they have a procedure in place to keep it quiet. And if there is a leak, it's going to come from the Hall of Fame, not from one of the voters, because you guys don't know what happened. You don't know. They, they, you don't even know who the final five finalists were.
2: That's right, Mike. We don't know as a new procedure this year to keep the five because The five get in, typically, and so we don't even know the final five. But my question on this is, do do they want to keep it until the day before the Super Bowl, or are we going to see David Baker flying around the country? Think about this, and you think about how much publicity they got when they had Bill Cowher and Jimmy Johnson there on the set, and I know we don't have anybody on the set, but I still could see this a daily occurrence where they're showing up at Peyton Manning's house and they put that on their site. And then you're getting, they're getting way more publicity for the Hall of Fame, Mike, because we're writing daily stories. Peyton Manning's in the Hall of Fame today. Charles Woodson's in the Hall of Fame the next day. And however it goes for, for all the rest of them, Drew Pearson hopefully, obviously since I presented him. But it, we could see that over the course, I think, of eight days of them just having daily presentations knocking on the door of these uh, Hall of Famers.
1: That would be the smart way to do it. then you force it into the news cycle, especially since the week before the Super Bowl isn't going to be like it ordinarily is with a bunch of players and coaches and others cycling through radio row, creating news that way and extra emphasis on the Super Bowl. This is a way to put extra emphasis on the Super Bowl by having that instead of holding it all until the Saturday night beforehand. I like that. And I had a vision of David Baker trying to find a mask that will fit his head i i i I think i'll just have to use a kitchen apron that i I, that's the only thing that's going to fit that is a massive human being who will darken your doorstep he's the football equivalent of luca brazzi but unlike luca brazzi you want david baker to show up and knock on your door and have news for you and make you an offer you will not refuse all right let's move on to the news of the day this one broke during the show this morning philip rivers announcing his retirement from the NFL after 17 seasons. We thought he was going to take some time. We thought the Colts were going to take some time. I don't know if he got the idea that maybe they weren't interested or if he just decided on his own, I'm stepping away with gas in the tank. But either way, he's still got some gas in the tank. He's moving on to his next challenge. And Shereen, look, I I think he's one of the great quarterbacks of all time. The problem is he gets lost in the shuffle of one of the greatest generations of quarterbacks we've ever seen.
2: Yeah, two MVP votes throughout the course of his career, Mike, and those came in 2009. We always talk about Russell Wilson not getting any MVP votes. Well, we've seen it with Phillip Rivers because he played in the eras of Peyton Manning, of, of Drew Brees, of Tom Brady, and so he did get lost in that shuffle. In fact, Mike, I would argue that he got lost in the shuffle of his draft class with Ben Roethlisberger.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, Roethlisberger's got two Super Bowl wins. Eli Manning's got two Super Bowl wins. Philip Rivers never even got there. And I understand it's a team sport, and I understand that there's only so much one person can do. But still. Of all the quarterbacks of the past 20 years who we would regard as great, and you consider Phillip Rivers put together enough yards to be fifth all-time, passing touchdowns to be fifth all-time, that's an impressive career. But when you don't make it to the Super Bowl, and you're never regarded as the best in the sport in any of the 17 years that you played, it just makes it hard to make the case that you're top 10 all-time, top 15 all-time. I don't know. It's, it, look, I don't like throwing those numbers around without actually making the list because, you know, if you, if you start – Taking all the different guys that you say are top ten and you stack them up, you'll have twenty five. But he, he's he's yeah. uh, he has nothing to be ashamed of for his career. But his career is even more incomplete than the career of a guy like a Fran Tarkenton or Dan Marino because they at least got to a Super Bowl. I mean, Philip Rivers is basically a modern day Dan Fouts, a guy who never got to a Super Bowl. Same team, generated a ton of yardage, was regarded as a great quarterback. But but never the best in the sport at any given time.
2: I had the comparison to Dan Fouts and also to Warren Moon. And if, if Warren Moon and Dan Fouts hadn't gotten into the Hall of Fame, I would be questioning the Hall of Fame candidacy of Philip Rivers. I do think because they are in the Hall of Fame that Philip Rivers will one day be in the Hall of Fame. I don't think Philip Rivers is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And I am one of the people, we argued about this a little bit yesterday in the meeting, I am one of the people that thinks that there should be something special to being a first ballot Hall of Famer. I get that the gold jacket isn't more gold. It doesn't have real gold on it if you're a first ballot Hall of Famer. I get all that, but I still think there's a difference. And I don't think that Philip Rivers is a first ballot Hall of Famer simply because I think it's more than numbers. You know, this game, a lot of quarterbacks produce big numbers. It's got to be more than numbers. It's got to be playoff wins. It's got to be getting to Super Bowls, and he just, frankly, didn't do that. And and a lot of it was because he didn't do that in the postseason. When you look at his postseason numbers – and his postseason record, he didn't do that in the postseason. He didn't take that next step. I think it was great that he played with a torn ACL in the AFC Championship game when they didn't have Ladanian Thomas for that entire game either. He was banged up and ended up standing on the sideline for most of that game. I was there for that game. But the fact is, he didn't win that game. Regardless of, of how valiant it was that he played in that game, he didn't get a win for his team in that game, Mike.
1: And he made a point of it in his statement that was released announcing the retirement that January 20, not only the feast day of St. Sebastian and Philip Rivers, a devout Catholic, St. Sebastian regarded as the patron saint of athletes. It's also the anniversary of the game that he played without an ACL in his knee. He pointed that out in his statement. And, you know, Shereen, when it comes to first battle hall of famers, in my mind, it is something that should be reserved for the guys like Peyton Manning who have a 12 second debate. And, and no debate, just a presentation. Yeah. As Mike Chappell said, we played the video yeah. today. I'd like to just drop the laptop, which is the equivalent of dropping the mic. It's Peyton Manning. And David Baker said, any discussion, no discussion. And that's that. That's, to me, what a first ballot Hall of Famer should be. And if you require discussion, no if you require debate, you shouldn't be in on the first ballot, period.
2: Absolutely agree, Mike. It's that person that doesn't need the debate. There is no presentation. Hey, even Ray Lewis had a presentation. It wasn't long and there wasn't much discussion, but even he had a a presentation, a full presentation. So I think it's that one guy, and they're rare. I, I've been in that room now since 2007, and there haven't been many of them. But for those where you just stand up and say, ladies and gentlemen, I present and whoever that quarterback is, or it's usually a quarterback, but whatever position it is, and sit down. That's all that needs to be said. We all know he's going in. We all know Peyton Manning's going in. Hey, Charles Woodson even had a presentation, and I think he's getting in this year. But we still had a presentation. But there's only a handful of those guys, Mike, and I'm with you. We have put in way too many first ballot guys over the past few years who, to me, didn't deserve that first ballot designation.
1: And I understand that there is a psychology to the process. There are those five slots, maximum slash minimum Guaranteed for modern era candidates, and you don't want to waste them. You want to make sure that you put up five finalists who get the votes and get in because that keeps the flow. That avoids this backlog that you get to where you've got plenty of guys who are worthy that never get a fair shot. But there's there's other guys that can get in other than people who are up their first time. There's that backlog that's always there. That's what shocks me about the whole concept of the first ballot Hall of Famer who doesn't deserve it. Like a Brian Erlacher. all due respect, Brian Urlacher. You shouldn't have been in on the first ballot, period, period. Sims said today when – I don't know if he said it on the air or off the air. And if he said it off the air, maybe it was off the record. I don't care. He said when, when they would play the Bears when he was in the NFL – They didn't game plan for Erlacher. They game plan for Lance Briggs.
2: Yeah. And there's Erlacher. And I would say Jason Taylor, too. To me, he's a Hall of Famer. I just don't think either one of those guys were first ballot Hall of Famers. And there's others. I mean, I hate to point out those two guys. And I did vote yes. Let's let's. Go there. I, I did vote yes once they got to that final five, but I do think there's a difference, and I just think it, you you have to be extra special to get that first ballot, and I don't think Philip Rivers fits that, and I don't. I'm not sure that Eli Manning fits that, even with two Super Bowl wins. here I'm talking about Philip Rivers not having Super Bowl wins, and Eli Manning does have that, but I'm not even sure he fits that bill. I don't know that he was that truly special above everybody else that you can just stand up and say, "Ladies and." Gentlemen, I present Eli like Manning. I don't think he fits that either, Mike.
1: And I don't fault you for voting yes on a guy like Erlacher when he's up on the first ballot, because once you're in the final five, if you say no, you're throwing him back no. in the yeah. bowl with everyone else, and that's gonna hurt somebody else and delay somebody else's entry to the Hall of Fame. Once you lock in the five, I think it's foolish to not vote yes. And clear them yes. through the process, and have the next, so so you don't have these angst ridden decisions every year. And and hey, my theory on Eli Manning, I don't know if we've talked about this before. The fact that his name is Manning is getting him in on the first ballot. The fact that he's going to have Peyton pushing hard and you're going to hear from Peyton and he's going to charm you and he's going to charm all the other voters. In advance, I know it's going to happen, write it down. It's four years away. There will be a charm offensive from Peyton Manning to get Eli in on the first ballot. And eventually even the people who say he shouldn't get in, will do it just to get Peyton to shut the hell up.
2: <laughs> well, you know there's going to be that push from the Manning family. There's no question about that, and they're going to try to get him in on first ballot. It it will be interesting to me if he does get on in on first ballot. I uh, Sitting here right now at this moment, I would say I don't think Eli Manning deserves first ballot. But you always look at who's in that queue, Mike, and you talked about it. If you vote somebody down, then then that it just pushes everybody back. And you look at a guy like Clay Matthews that plays so long for the Browns, and this was his first time up for discussion and it's also his last time up for discussion this year if he doesn't get in he goes into that senior pool which is just an abyss and now we only put in one senior every year so you get lost in there. So if a guy like Clay Matthews doesn't get in this year, then he goes to that senior pool and out of there. You look at a guy like John Lynch, who's been on the list of 15 finalists since forever. And 2014 and 2015, every guy, every 15, all 15 guys from 2014 and 2015 are in the Hall of Fame, aside from John Lynch. So you know, there's guys who've been waiting a really long time to get in, and I just hate when you bypass those guys for somebody that to me doesn't deserve that first ballot uh, designation.
1: I have been very clear in my position that I do not want to be on the selection committee. That is my way of dealing with the reality that they'll never invite me. But beyond that, I can't (laughs) do it. I I don't have the reservoir of tact and diplomacy to make it through eight hours and 47 minutes without losing my cool at some point. And if nothing else, I am self-aware. But there's one reason why I'd be intrigued to have that power, because I'd love to be able to put off Peyton Manning when he's trying to get me on the phone to talk me into voting <laughs> for Eli. I'd be like, uh, Peyton, yeah, you know, I can't really talk to you right now. I'm a little bit busy. Can you call me next Tuesday, let's say four fifty-five p.m. on the nose? And if you don't call, that's on you, not on me. I'd kind of like that. But other than that, I'm not interested in it. But uh, <laughs> I, I I look forward to you putting off Peyton Manning four years from now when he's trying to get Eli in. Now, four years from now, presumably the Colts will have a quarterback who has been their quarterback for more than one season. They've gone from Andrew Luck to Jacoby Brissett to Phillip Rivers to who now? Where do you think the Colts should go from here with Phillip Rivers retired?
2: Well, you're the first one that brought it up, Mike. But I think the, the perfect guy that fits what they do that's been with Frank Wright before is Carson Wentz. I mean, he makes a ton of sense, but it does sound like the Eagles, that's why they parted ways with Doug Peterson, right? Because they wanted Carson Wentz and he wanted Jalen Hurts. So if that's the case, that's not going to work out. But I, to me, if I'm the Colts, I absolutely approach the Eagles about what it would take to get Carson Wentz.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And maybe it's just part of an elaborate ruse by the Eagles to create a trade market for Carson Wentz. And if so, Howie Roseman, Jeffrey Lurie today saying, hey, it's working. It's all falling together. Philip Rivers retired maybe this will work don't say anything about Carson Wentz let's continue to create the idea that we want Carson Wentz but I feel like they do want to make it work with Carson Wentz and the other thing to keep in mind the cap charges the cap accelerations it it's a complicated year with the salary cap likely to be I'm told in the range of 180 million delicate decisions to make when you've got a franchise quarterback making big money and you're looking at the prospect of moving him off the roster there aren't many different categories where you can explore if you're a team in need of a quarterback you can draft one duh you can sign a veteran free agent who happens to be available or you can trade for somebody that's pretty much it and you know ryan fitzpatrick's going to be available i don't know that that's what the colts want to do but if they're looking for another band-aid see that's the question are they looking for a band-aid are looking for a bridge while they continue to scour draftable quarterbacks Or do they want someone that they know is going to be the guy for five years? And Chris Bowler, the GM, talked about it recently. He said there's a difference between drafting a quarterback and drafting the right quarterback. I think it's a mistake. And we saw it with the Titans, the Jaguars, and the Vikings in the 2011 draft. Jake Locker, Blaine Garrett, Christian Ponder. Teams that were desperate for quarterbacks. They didn't have free agency that year because of the lockout. It came later. So let's just reach for a quarterback when we shouldn't have taken those guys. And what happened? All three of them failed to live up to the draft status because they they were drafted at a spot where they shouldn't have been simply because the team got desperate I think the Colts are going to try to avoid that Shereen.
2: yeah and you know Mike they they were so lucky because they went from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck they had the one bad year in there that got them they tanked whatever happened but they ended up with the first round draft but for number one overall pick and they ended up drafting Andrew Luck and And so Luck lucked into that franchise quarterback and really didn't have to search for one. And now they're in this great search since Luck retired of having to find one. And now this year you have the 21st overall pick. I mean, that's a tough spot to be in to think you're going to get one of those top guys that they're going to fall to you. And are you going to mortgage your future so to speak to move up to get one of those guys they're so far down I just don't know if if that's going to happen so I, I look for them kind of probably to have a bridge guy and maybe draft a quarterback at some point that they can think they can groom but uh they're in a tough spot I think with where they draft Mike and and what this free agency class of quarterbacks looks like maybe the trade is the route to go
1: I always say with Ryan Fitzpatrick that it is easier to list the teams he hasn't played for than the teams he has. I think the Colts are in that ever-shrinking group of teams he has not played for. So what the hell? You may as well check another <laughs> one off, Ryan Fitzpatrick, if you want to play again. I, I don't think that's in the long term. Obviously, it's not in the long term best interest of the Colts. But maybe maybe it's Ryan Fitzpatrick plus somebody they get round two, round three. Somebody they fall in love with during this funky scouting process with no scouting combine. And they they let that guy be groomed. And Fitzpatrick doesn't have to worry about getting benched five six seven games in like what happened to him this year in Miami the Lions as expected have agreed to a deal with Dan Campbell we talked about Dan Campbell last week oh god he played for the Cowboys and he went to Texas A&M Shireen's got Shireen's got a new favorite team it's the Detroit Lions (laughs) that's my guy and and it's going to It's going to be a while. He got the six-year hazard pay deal from the Lions. The six-year deal that teams now have to do, it's the crying uncle to dysfunction. Those are the teams that do the six-year deal. And Because people are like, what has Dan Campbell done to deserve a six-year deal? Nothing. But anyone the Lions will hire is getting a six-year deal because they're trying to convince anyone out there. That, that it's not a complete and total mess. So they're making the commitment to Dan Campbell because they have to commit to somebody. The 49ers were the ones who got this started a few years ago when they were a dysfunctional mess. The six-year deal is the message that they are committed to giving this guy a full and fair chance to turn it around, and they're not going to pull the plug prematurely.
2: Yeah, and I know Dan very well. He's not an X's and O's, guys. That's not what he does, and he's going to hire those guys. Obviously, Aaron Glenn who also went to A&M, by the way, is probably going to be his defensive coordinator. I think that's a really good hire. I think the offensive coordinator is going to be imperative. Who does he get for that job? And he knows that. He knows that's not what he does. But as far as leadership, motivator, communicator, and I don't know if they intended this or not, but it's all the things... Mike that Matt Patricia is not that's what they have hired in Dan Campbell and he's a leader of men and he showed that in the 12 games that he coached the Dolphins as as the interim head coach I was down there for a couple days and spent two days with with Dan Campbell when he was the interim coach down there and I just think he's going to be really good well let me he's at the Lions he's going to be better than (laughs) what Matt (laughs) Patricia did let's go there
1: (laughs) um Yeah, You know, you you touched on something, though, that we see all the time in the NFL. You you take the exact opposite of the coach that you had. Whoever the coach was, the personality type, we're going to try to bring in somebody who is 180 degrees different. And it sounds like Dan Campbell is that. And maybe there will be a full staff of Texas A&M players. My (laughs) only advice to Dan Campbell in that regard don't make Johnny Manziel the offensive coordinator. That's my only advice. Other than that, there you go, go nuts with the Texas A&M connections on your coaching staff. All right. Uh, and we'll see. We'll see what happens with the Lions. Look, my, my position on the Lions is it's been 60 years of dysfunction now and mediocrity at best. It's been almost 30 years since a playoff win. I'm going to assume no until they show me yes. But it is a different day. It's a new era. Brad Holmes is the GM. Dan Campbell's the head coach. And Chris Spielman is something. I don't know what but he's something, and we'll find out what that something is once they start playing games in 2021. All right, um, a guy who entered the league three years ago and who now can sign a second contract, Lamar Jackson, the 2019 NFL MVP, and uh, a guy who got the Ravens back to the playoffs this year and got a playoff win. Here is John Harbaugh, the coach of the Ravens, his end-of-season press conference, talking about Lamar Jackson and what to expect with the team's offense going forward.
3: I'm very confident that uh, that Eric and those guys will do a great job of looking at that. Of course, absolutely, we want you know Lamar to uh, to sign a long-term deal and be with us, and that's I'm I'm totally certain that that's going to happen. We'll build the passing game around our players and our talent, and around our quarterback and around our running backs and around our offensive line to suit our players to play winning football and to score points. I mean. I think we were the seventh or eighth highest scoring offense in the league last year. So we can talk about the other 24, 23 of those teams and talk about what they're not doing uh, to fit somebody's eye. But it goes back to, and the reason I'm, I'm strong on this is because it goes back to the same criticism that we've heard for the last three years about not, not being the type of, a, of, a, of an offense or the type of a quarterback that some people want to see. And that's just, they're just going to have to live with it because Lamar Jackson's won a lot of football games here. And our offense has won us a lot of football games here. And we're not apologizing that for one second. We are going to improve it, no question about it. We're going to go to work to be more precise, more efficient, better at what we do. That's what we have to do, be better at it.
1: They do have to improve their passing, though, if they want to attract free agents to join that team. And they need a veteran presence in the receiver room. I don't assume that Des Bryant will be back again. They need someone out there who, who says, I choose the Ravens and I play receiver and I believe that the passing game is going to flourish. They really need to have that happen. And as to the contract of Lamar Jackson, he doesn't have an agent. And it's going to be interesting to see what that contract looks like, what they negotiate directly with him. I think his mother handles his business affairs. Will they do what we've seen other teams do when they negotiate with a guy who doesn't have an agent and take advantage of him. Russell Okung's contract with the Broncos was an abomination. The Richard Sherman contract with the 49ers, I know he would strongly disagree with me. Also an abomination, not nearly reflective of his value, not nearly what he could have or should have gotten. Are the Ravens going to do that to Lamar Jackson, or are they going to give him something that is closer to market value? And it's going to be hard to do it this year with the salary cap where it is. Uh, So I know they'd like to do it. And I presume he'd like to get his reward, Shereen. But I think it's going to be a delicate thing for the Ravens because they're going to be in a position where maybe they can take advantage of the situation. It'll be interesting to see if they do.
2: Mike, I have a question for you. Okay, he's played three years, right? And I agree. He's done a lot in the regular season. He was MVP last year. He's done a lot in the regular season. He's won a lot of games. The Ravens have won a lot. He's 1-3 and in the postseason. Would you give him a contract after this third year based on what you've seen, especially in the postseason?
1: No, and here's why. Look at Carson Wentz and Jared Goff. We've been focused with, obsessed on that over the past two months. Yeah. Once you lock in, you better be damn sure that the guy that you're paying is going to be the guy that he's been. And for me, I continue to have some concerns about the injury issue. Although he he continues to defy any and all expectations. I remember when he became the starter. You know, there were folks who said, "Hey, it'll be it'll be fun while it lasts, but it ain't going to last very long." Well, it's lasted and it works. I I I don't know what I would do. I I I don't know if I would do a short term extension. I don't know if I'd pay him close to market value right now. That's forty five million. I'm not doing that, but I think I would wait one more year. And I would use the salary cap issues as a legitimate reason. And what I would do is I would approach him and I'd say, look, if you want to do the contract now, here's what we can do. We can do more next year, assuming that both sides want to do something next year. But for this year, this is all we can do because of the cap. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. And then I would build in some flexibility so I could, I could cut the cord if I wanted to, unlike the Rams who would love to cut the cord right now on Jared Goff and can't, Shireen.
2: Exactly. That was my exact thought, Mike. And, and that's a good out and it's a legitimate out that they would have. And if you can somehow get him to sign a shorter term deal for not market value, then, then even better. But if you don't, you have another year to see what you have in and, him and, and then are firmly convinced that he's your guy. You've seen him for four years. You've seen him in the postseason. I just want to see more from Lamar Jackson in the postseason to know that he is the guy to lead me to the Super Bowl because I haven't seen that yet.
1: Yeah, I agree with you completely. Even though he is a great quarterback, he won an MVP. You don't want, I mean, the, the Eagles and Rams examples are the warning shot for the rest of the league. Just because you got a guy in round one who's turned into a great quarterback, that doesn't mean that it's right for you to do a market level deal that you may regret within a year or two. The Eagles, I don't know. I don't know what their feeling really is on Carson Wentz because I think. There is a belief that it's just an aberration like it was year three for Ben Roethlisberger, year four for Peyton Manning. We'll see. But it's definitely a source of regret for the LA Rams and the Ravens who have managed their team impeccably relative to other teams over the years. Yeah, you're going to have a periodic mistake like an Earl Thomas, but... uh, I think they'll end up doing the smart thing and the right thing for them. All right, let's take a break. we got plenty more still to come on this Wednesday edition. We're going to talk about the AFC Championship game and Patrick Mahomes' status. Did he practice today? We'll talk about that next here on PFT PM.
5: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
4: Can you um, tell us how much Pat did? Was he full? Was he limited? How much Pat did and uh, um, how he looked when he was out there as well?
5: Yeah, um, so he looked good. He's just uh, he's in the protocol, so they, there's only certain things he can do, and and it's a limited basis. But today is a little bit limited practice, so he this fit right into what he could do, and and um, but he took all the snaps, and you know he feels he feels good. So I mean, we just we're just gonna follow this protocol uh, as close as we possibly can.
2: Does anything really change?
5: offensively in terms of the game planning with Patrick in the protocol and obviously Chad going through most of the reps or does it mostly stay the same? Yeah, hey, you know, when, when Chad was in the game, we didn't have to really change much. So um, that was a, a plus. And, and, um, so we've kind of, we're just leaving it the way we, we do. Chad's comfortable with it and, you know, he, he feels that he can handle that if needed. So I, I think you know, that's, it's all well there.
1: According to the injury report posted at the Chiefs website, Patrick Mahomes was limited in practice with a concussion slash toe injury, and we, we knew there was a toe problem. We saw that. He was favoring the foot before he exited the game with the concussion. He's in the protocol, and I'm always confused by this. You can be in the protocol without actually having a concussion. You still have to pass the protocol, even if you didn't have a full-blown concussion. And it's all very amorphous and vague, and there isn't a whole lot of transparency. The bottom line is he needs to be cleared, whether he had an actual concussion or not. I've seen all sorts of speculation that it was some sort of a neck thing, and it it created a nerve issue, and that's why he was he's in the concussion protocol. It doesn't matter. He doesn't play. He doesn't qualify for contact practice until he can clear that protocol Shireen. and look I, I I think that that the toe is something I'd be more concerned about at this point I have no doubt he's going to play on Sunday I have no doubt that all appropriate boxes will be checked and he will be cleared to play I would be stunned if he beyond stunned if he's not cleared because of the concussion I want to see how he moves with that toe and I want to see if that restricts his game in any way because it sure looked like it was affecting him between plays and it felt like it was just a matter of time before it looked like it was going to affect him during plays.
2: Yeah, I'm with you, Mike. Initially, I was worried about the concussion. It's a five-step process, and Andy Reid didn't address where exactly Patrick Mahomes was in that process. And initially, they did list him as a full participant, and now apparently have changed that to limited. And I think they realized you can't be a full participant unless you've been cleared from – from concussion protocol. So obviously that hasn't happened, but we do expect him to play. He has not had symptoms of a concussion. Andy Reid said that. So that's not going to be the problem. I'm with you. I think the toe injury could be the bigger problem. How well is he going to move? We know that's a big part of his game. And last time they played, Uh, The Bills, he rushed for over 30 yards uh, in that game and was very effective moving around in the pocket, as he always is. But how much is that going to limit him? We saw him limping a lot. And I know Andy Reid blew off that injury on Monday, but I still think it could be a factor, Mike. And it could be a factor from the fact that he's not going to get a ton, probably, of practice time this week because of that toe. I would expect him to be limited all week, whether it is the concussion or the toe or both.
1: The official injury report distributed by the NFL also has Mahomes listed as limited in practice. But just by way of an example as to how what ends up on the website can be different from the official report, I'll give you an example that that just jumped right out to me. On the Chiefs' website, they've got the Chiefs' injuries and the Bills' injuries, and it shows Stephon Diggs did not practice with an oblique injury. The email from the league shows that Stephon Diggs was limited in practice with an oblique injury. So may I just make a friendly suggestion? Get your act together, NFL and teams. This is fairly important (laughs) information on which people rely. How hard is it? It's either did not practice, limited, or full. It ain't that difficult. And I see these mistakes all the time. There was a weird injury report last week on the Saints website on Friday that had Michael Thomas's out. And it's like, he's not even on the injury report this week. So I don't get it. I don't understand it. And I'm surprised there isn't more of an outcry because people are relying on this information, especially when it comes to deciding who they're going to bet on or not bet on in a given game. So <laughs> to, to, to to borrow a phrase from uh, a guy that I really don't think much of personally, Mike Gundy, get your facts straight, NFL. All right. Um, you know, the other thing that I wonder about the Chiefs in this Patrick Mahomes situation, Shireen, is that will they... Let him run. Will they design runs? Will he choose not to run if no one's open because of the toe and because of the, hey, I just had a concussion last week. So I I don't think Mahomes is going to restrict himself in any way. I don't know if Andy Reid will restrict Patrick Mahomes as a runner, but I think that's something that if I'm the Bills, Leslie Frazier, the defensive coordinator, or Sean McDermott, the head coach, I'm wondering as I budget my resources, my 11 guys, how... How in tune are they going to be to the possibility of Mahomes running, or are we going to assume he's not going to run because of those injuries?
2: I'm going after him, Mike. I'm going after him early. If he hits a big one to try, Tyreek Hill, so be it. I mean, you know the Chiefs are going to score points. This is going to be a high-scoring game we all expect. So if they hit the big one earlier, early and he gets out of there, if he runs early or whatever the case may be, and you figure out that toe's okay and the concussion is fine and he's going to do what he needs to do – then okay, then maybe I change my game plan a little bit. But initially, Mike, I'm going after him. I'm blitzing him. I'm trying to get to him early and, and see what I can do uh, uh, with him under duress.
1: Yeah, look, I agree with you completely, and I know that there'll be Chiefs fans that, that don't want to hear that, but that's football. And I know that I created a little bit of a mess last year when I suggested after seeing him weave through all those Titans players who didn't know what they could and couldn't do and were fearful of doing something that would get them flagged for 15 yards. And we see quarterbacks flop now and admit that they flopped like Lamar Jackson during the season. (laughs) And how about how about Josh Allen? Josh Allen can play himself in the Josh Allen story. The acting quality that we saw when he flopped and drew a 15-yard foul. So. It's hey. Once you become a runner, all bets are off. You're no different than Marshawn Lynch or or any other NFL running back that's ever played, and and that's that's where these guys need to be coached. Um, not with an intent to injure, but if you, you, you can't take advantage of the rules that way, and you can't kind of pretend that the bubble that exists around a quarterback in the pocket exists when he decides to become a runner and it'll be interesting to see whether and to what extent the Chiefs take advantage or not of the rules that protect a quarterback because I don't think the Bills defense is going to be looking to go easy on Patrick Mahomes under the circumstances all right we're gonna flip it over to the NFC championship game when we return Tom Brady Aaron Rodgers meeting in a single elimination setting we'll discuss that next on PFTPM
5: This is just another one of those special moments in uh, in, in my career. Um, it's great, obviously, fodder for media outlets. Uh, there's just so many great storylines and there always are. I mean, that's the NFL. There's so many great, uh, great people and great stories to talk about. Obviously, Tommy's had an amazing career. You know, you know his legacy is uh, one of so many wins and, and so many accomplishments. And I've been a fan of his. Um, for a long time and enjoyed the few times we've gotten to play. I remember when uh, I heard the news about him coming to the NFC, I thought this was a real possibility. And I'm excited about the opportunity to play against him one more time.
1: And Brady together in the postseason for the first time ever. It felt inevitable at some point a decade ago that the Packers and the Patriots would get together in the Super Bowl. And it would have happened what six years ago but for that screwy comeback by the seattle seahawks in the nfc championship game i mean the packers had it won there were so many things you can point to i'd still be tormented by that if i was a packers fan six years later the way that they had that game in their clutches and it would have been tom brady versus aaron Rodgers then but the next best thing is tom brady versus aaron Rodgers now and you throw in the weather, Shereen. They're calling for snow. It's going to be cold. Tom Brady is familiar with both. Yesterday was the t- the 19th anniversary of the Tuck Rule game. I-, I I just I I I wonder whether the players who haven't played in the cold can truly appreciate it before they actually experience it. And if things were normal right now, and I were the Buccaneers. I'd get up there early and have a couple of days practicing outside just to get people acclimated to what it feels like to try to perform in those circumstances.
2: Yeah, when I was in Tampa, Mike, I remember every single year, every December, I would write that the Bucs are this record in under 45 degrees. And it was forever since they had won a game. And this is obviously a different Buccaneers team. But a lot of these players, Mike, haven't played into January. So they don't know what it's like. They don't know how cold it is. They haven't played at Lambeau Field in January when the temperature is below 30 degrees. And they're still training in Tampa where it's warm. We know that. But they do have the one guy who's been really good in the cold weather we know, Tom Brady. And that's never stopped him. And it's not going to stop him this week. But I'm with you. For some of these players who haven't played in it, I absolutely take them there early and get acclimated a little bit to cold weather. Decide what you're going to wear. That's important. What kind of cleats are you going to wear? What kind of thing? What are you going to have underneath your jersey? If anything, how are you going to prepare for this game? And especially mentally. I mean, they've talked, they've all talked about that. It's a mental thing. So get them ready for it mentally beforehand.
1: There were two great storylines about the Buccaneers early in their existence. There was an extended period of time before they had a kickoff return for a touchdown years and years and years. And it was 27 years where they hadn't won a game when the temperature at kickoff was below 40. They were 0 and 21. It was December of 2002, the year they won the Super Bowl. They were 11 and 4. The Bears were 4 and 11. They went to Chicago for that late season game in late December, and they got the win for the first time ever. The thermometer below 40 at kickoff, and the Bucks get the win. Well, it's going to be a lot lower than 40 on Sunday. Here's Bruce Arians talking about how the weather could or will be a factor when the Bucks and the Packers get together on Sunday.
3: I don't really consider 28 degrees cold. I, I grew up in the north. We got a lot of guys that played in Green Bay uh, and, and played from in colleges up north. Uh, the weather, the weather won't affect the ball game. I don't think at all.
1: Shereen, he's got the red chameleon thing going on. Whatever shade of red he's wearing, that's the color of his face. Can we pull that up? His face was pink the other day when he was wearing a pink shirt. He's wearing red with the red sunglasses on top. He is the exact (laughs) color. He is a chameleon as long as the color is red, Shireen.
2: He almost looks like Santa Claus there. Just needs the full beard instead of the partial beard there. And he'd look just like Santa Claus.
1: Hey, 28's cold. It's been 28-ish here the past few days. Like, I took the garbage out last night. It's cold. And it takes a while to get used to it. And you feel it you know, the, the, uh, like little knives in your lungs. And, and now look, in the 20s, you can live with it. when it gets below 20. That's when it really becomes a challenge. But it affects your breathing. It affects your performance. It affects how you feel. And I think it's more of a factor when you're on the sideline trying to get warm when you're moving around. It's a little bit easier. But I, I you know, I, I've been out and I've done things physically in the cold before, whether it's playing football when you're a kid or going out and running in the cold. It it You feel different. You stiffen up. Your your body doesn't react the way that it ordinarily does. And I think that's going to be a factor for both teams. But the more used to it you are, the easier it's going to be to understand what's happening and react to it.
2: I saw a stat, and I'm not sure if it's just the postseason or, or all the time, but under 28 degrees, Brady six and two, Rogers seven and one. So they both had great success in cold weather. But again, you know, it goes back to those Bucks players who have little playoff experience and little experience playing in the cold weather. And I was there for that Bucks championship game when they beat the Eagles, and it was. Let me just tell you, it was cold that day. Veterans Stadium. They had the they had the, actually had the media outside. We weren't in the press box, and it was brutal. But I can't imagine that ball hitting your hands, Mike, hitting your arms, how bad that must hurt. And especially if you're not used to it.
1: Oh, yeah, that football, when it gets cold, my goodness, especially a fairly new NFL football that is properly inflated. That's a different story, though. Hey, it's going to be cold. Here's hoping <laughs> yes, that right. when they do the spot checks, if they do them at halftime, they understand PV equals NRT. It's not going to be 12.5 pounds per square inch after an hour and a half. My God, and we're up on the six-year anniversary i think it's it's either happened or it's coming whatever it is we're getting close to the moment where it will be six years since the colts patriots game that brought us to gate i don't miss talking about that when we return we're going to talk about your best questions posed on this wednesday edition of pftpm we'll be back with that right after this All right, wrapping up this Wednesday edition, let's open up the mailbag. Sources close to me tell me that we are indeed live today for the full hour on Sky Sports NFL. So how about a question for one of our most loyal viewers listeners and readers. He's been around for a long time. A Red Zone Alk. We've gotten questions from him back when we did PFT Live only as a digital enterprise. He's been around for a long time and we appreciate his input. Do the Texans, he asks, have time on their side when it comes to placating Deshaun Watson, Shereen? Look, I see it as a very simple proposition. They got to figure out a plan and they need to implement it March 17. That's the start of the new league year, because if there's other teams out there trying to figure out what they're going to do at quarterback, they're going to be reluctant to put the brakes on their efforts to work a trade, sign a free agent, do whatever if they're sitting around waiting to see what happens with Deshaun Watson. I don't think time is on the Texans' side. I think they got a lot to do. And in the grand scheme of things, they don't have a lot of time to figure it out.
2: I think Bienemy is emerging possibly as the favorite there. We know he's on their list and I would think he would at least be a finalist to where they would talk to. So we're talking about them getting a head coach, Mike. Assuming the Chiefs win, that's going to come after the Super Bowl. Even if it's not, I think Leslie Frazier's probably going to be a finalist too. So one of those two teams has a guy that the Texans are interested in. So I think we're looking at this hire being made after the Super Bowl. At that point, they have to move quickly. That coach has to meet with Deshaun Watson. If he's smart, he meets with Deshaun Watson before he ever takes that job to assure himself that Deshaun Watson's going to be his quarterback. If he's not, I'm not sure I take that job. But once they do that, they've got to get either Deshaun Watson on board or to the point of, okay, we're going to open this up to a bidding war, get all those teams who are interested in Deshaun Watson, make it known, give us your best offer, and pit them against each other, as you've said, Mike.
1: Yeah, and there's a flow chart that definitely needs to be constructed. You and I can figure that out. Yesterday, Miles Simmons and I were talking about it, the imperative nature of getting Deshaun Watson on board with an Eric Bieniemy before Bieniemy signs the contract, and you get the two of them in a room. If I'm Bieniemy, I'm not taking this job until I talk to Deshaun Watson. Can you set it up? I want to talk to him, and I want to know, is he on board? I want his word before I take it. So on the flow chart, that ends it. There's, there's nothing to discuss if yeah. Deshaun Watson is on board and has changed his mind and doesn't want out. But the other side of the flow chart, you know, that's the short little, will Deshaun stay? Yes. And the other side is where it can go a bunch of different ways, and they need to be smart about anticipating how the dominoes can fall and when they need to move and how they need to craft a market. And there's a sweet spot there somewhere where they get fair value, but also Deshaun Watson doesn't feel like he's going to a team that after that team gives up what it gives up to get to Sean Watson, it's going to be 4-12 and 12 right. while he has a great year, too. Then how has he improved his situation?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right, Mike. And he's got that control with a no-trade clause. He can tell the Texans, these are the teams I will go to work it out with one of these teams.
1: All right, Ians for 79 asks, haven't the Dolphins spent the last 18 months trying to rebuild the roster? Why would they want to give away most of their draft capital for the next three years for a quarterback as good as Deshaun Watson is when they've still got gaps in their current roster? You don't have to give away most of your draft capital for the next three years. I think three first-round picks, if Watson decides he's out, I think offering back to Houston... The third overall pick that would have been theirs anyway, but for the Larry Tunsil trade, plus Miami's other first round pick, plus the first round pick next year is enough to get Deshaun Watson. And when you think about it in terms of making an investment of draft picks, if you're the Dolphins and you say, I'm using my first round pick and getting Deshaun Watson, how much more beyond my first round pick am I willing to give up to know? That I'm getting, because otherwise I could take a quarterback with my first round pick, and he's not going to be any good. Like maybe Tua turns out being, so it's easy to justify multiple first round picks and maybe a third one. But I don't think it guts your roster, and I think the Dolphins, one of the few teams, Shereen, best suited to make the trade that will make the Texans happy and still have a good team moving forward.
2: I think it would make the Texans happy, and I think it would make Deshaun Watson happy based on reports that we've heard. I will ask you this, Mike. If you're the Texans, do you want Tua? If you're the Dolphins, do you want to give them Tua?
1: I I haven't seen enough from Tua to want Tua. I'd rather have the draft picks. I'd rather have number three overall and try to take a quarterback than take Tua and two further first-round picks. And Sims and I were talking about that today. You know, this may be so complicated that at the end of the day it's a three-team deal because it could be that – the team that wants Deshaun Watson has a quarterback that someone else wants more than the Texans would want him. This came up in the context of the possibility of the Raiders doing the deal, because I can guarantee you the Texans don't want anyone named Carr playing quarterback for them ever right. again, even if it's spelled different. So maybe someone else gets Derek Carr and that someone else throws in a draft pick and it go and it all it factors in that way it could be that this one is so big and so complex it takes three teams so maybe there's another team out there that would love to have Tua if the Texans look at it and say that's not the guy that we want being our franchise quarterback
2: and we don't see many of those three team trades Mike so that would be interesting if that were to happen
1: and remember even though the trades can't occur until 4 p.m eastern on March the 17th the start of the new league year The deals can be worked out. It happened just a couple of years ago when Alex Smith was traded to Washington, clearing out the spot uh, in Kansas City for Patrick Mahomes, and then making it clear that Kirk Cousins wouldn't be back and signing with Minnesota. But that deal was done weeks before it became official. It could happen. In theory, it could happen at any time. So we'll continue to watch that story. Shereen, real quickly on the way out the door, Philly, J.J. Philly. Should the Lions trade Matthew Stafford, and what value do you see getting Back for them. They Brad Holmes, a new GM, has said he's going to look at the whole roster. No guarantees for Stafford. No guarantee he wants to even be there.
2: I think it would be great, Mike, for Matthew Stafford to start over somewhere else. And I think it would be the Lions, great for them to get a new start with a new quarterback. The problem is obviously replacing him. you got to find somebody better.
1: Taking the end of the show back to where we began maybe the Colts, now that they need a quarterback with philip rivers gone would be interested in working out a deal for matthew stafford and solving their problem at least for a year or two maybe longer that's it for today enjoy the rest of your evening we'll see you tomorrow for another pftpm